0: Podcast where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links and see where it takes us. John, what do you have?
1: Um, I wish I could tell you. <laughs> uh, it is a list of m- Messivtas.
2: Mess
1: mm hmm is a list of massivtas. Which is M E S I V T A S, Hmm. Massivtas. And it's just a list. (laughs) It does not give me pictures. It does not explain what a massivtas may be. I do have some context clues here. I mean... The thing is is there's a ton of them in New York.
2: Hmm.
1: And they always seem to mention rabbi Mm. sometimes and the weird thing is though is that the vast majority of them are in new york there are some in massachusetts iowa illinois there's one in canada europe australia and oddly enough there is a grand total of one in israel (laughs) so that kind of diminishes my thinking that it has to be something that's affiliated with judaism because wouldn't there be more (laughs) or yeah that's uh i'm not really sure what it is though so um, maybe it's there's a good reason
0: for that mm, but it's definitely a nice mystery yeah to start off the podcast yep Let's see what I get.
1: Yeah. what do you What do you have? Do you have something that's oh. a little more clear in what it is? I
0: have Eadhild. Apparently, this was so a no, it's person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, so, so it says died 937. So I'm assuming it's a person.
1: A person in single hundreds of years yep. who was alive and had a single name. Yep. Good. <laughs> Here we go with one of those.
0: Uh was the second wife of Hugh, Duke of the Franks. She was the daughter of Edward the Elder, King of the Anglo-Saxons, and his second wife, Aelflaed. Um. (laughs) There's lots of weird characters in there, and...
1: What what country is he from? I mean, he married the Duke of, or he was related to the Duke of France, right? So king of,
0: King of the Anglo Saxons. It doesn't say.
1: So he's like a predecessor to William the Conqueror.
0: I guess I guess he would have to be because
1: that was before what 1064. That was the mm-hmm. big the big year in French conquering the the English.
2: Yeah. Um.
0: Her sister's name was Eidgifu. Um. <laughs> So.
1: It sounds like they just spelled people's <laughs> names backwards. Honestly, it sounds like <laughs> someone recorded a bunch of names and then just played them backwards and that was how they named their <laughs> children. For being literally the predecessors to the English, like that's that's just mm-hmm. really weird to me. Because that doesn't sound even a little French. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, that doesn't really sound like anything, to be no. honest.
1: No, it just sounds like a bunch of nonsense. It sounds
0: like, like a fantasy world yeah. that... Somebody came up with a bunch of names Literally
1: Middle-Earth <laughs> Like it sounds elvish, if anything yeah. Um, oh, okay So either we can go towards some ancient history Or we can go towards a mysterious Uh, uh, Juda- Judaistic Related something or another
0: <laughs> I think I'm leaning towards yours on this one
1: I don't know, I was gonna I was Cause... leaning towards yours Cause, <laughs> you know Well, yeah, it's, I mean it's, a, it's at least, you know, a direction that we know we're getting into <laughs> that's true but well, what's your reason what i you
0: just want to know what that is i know i want to know what it is <laughs> i mean
1: you're right i mean that people can look at and you, we know we know what's next we know that you know <laughs> in a couple of decades from that article boom invading england boom english history and then we're back to trying to find weird things about schools whereas <laughs> this this is a complete mystery you're right you're right i, def- I digress i digress we gotta, we gotta do the thing we don't know anything about. Because this is educational for everybody except for That's true. our probably few people who are of the Jewish persuasion and yeah. who um, probably just think we're idiots. Yeah. And, well, I mean, we are. Well, yeah. But this is the only way we're going to fix that. Right. <laughs> if we learn about
0: this. Yep. This is what we're here for. Mhm. All right, let's do it. List of, Massivtas.
1: You want to say mastivas, but it's not Mes- Spanish. It's it's Yiddish. Massivtas.
0: So there's some in Canada. Well, there's one in Canada, one in Europe, one in Australia, one in Israel, and a ton in the United States.
1: They're mostly in the United States.
0: Got some here in Pennsylvania.
1: There are m- as many. There are many as many of these things in. There are more of these things in Connecticut than there are in the in the actual nation of Israel.
0: <laughs> There's more of these in Pennsylvania than there is in Israel. Yep,
1: that is true. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't understand I'm, it.
0: I'm gonna take a guess. Um my my guess is that this is a type of Jewish school.
1: I was gonna say that? Because I mean, there's so two one... of them say
0: sc- oh, have school two. in the title.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But why wouldn't they just have, you know, more? Um, why wouldn't they have more Jewish schools? I know there are a lot of schools that are of the Jewish persuasion or affiliation. Well, we just gotta go. We just gotta go to masivtas.
0: The question is, which one do we go to?
1: Well, we can go Cause... to the Massivitas itself, or we can ah, jump right that's... to a specific one. And I think either mm-hmm. might offer an explanation, but then again, it may not.
0: True. Well, and some if... of these
1: are actual links to Massivtas, where others are links to just the place.
0: Because, uh, yeah, if we go to Massivtas, then... Maybe they have like a section of notable ones or right. like, you know, more famous ones or whatever. So I guess that would probably be the best option of directly learning about it. Or,
1: or we could go to the Masifta Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch.
0: <laughs> That's true.
1: I mean, that was one I mean, of the ones that I don't know. I saw it and I thought. That's an oddly modern name Hmm. for something. Like, everything else seems to be kind of more ancient Yiddish.
0: Yeah, I guess. Tiferous Yisroel.
1: Yeah, what what is that? That's not even a name. Torah Vodath Yam Hatora. Like...
0: Curious Joel. Curious George? (laughs) Maybe that's their version. Curious, Curious Joel
1: curious jewel it might be but okay all right we should probably just learn about what these are
0: (laughs) so do we want to go the roundabout way go to a specific one and then try to figure it out and then try and then go to directly to the thing
1: let's do let's go directly to the source let's go directly to the source what's a masivta
0: Masivta is an orthodox Jewish yeshiva secondary school for boys. Term is commonly used in the United States to describe a yeshiva that emphasizes Talmudic studies for boys in grades 9 through 11 or 12, alternately it refers to the religious studies track in a yeshiva school, high school that offers both religious and secular studies. The comparable term in Israel is yeshiva katana or small yeshiva. I'm assuming yeshiva is school. I don't know. I, I guess. <laughs> I mean, they keep using it. They haven't defined it yet, but after graduation from a masivta, students progress to a base madrash medrash, or undergraduate level yeshiva program. In practice, yeshiva's that call themselves masivtas Are usually a combination Of masivta Which is high school And base, madrash Or post high school programs Students in the base madrash Program Are often called upon To mentor those in the
2: masivta Hmm
1: Alright, so it's a Jewish high school For dudes So it's rabbi high school Part one Yep <laughs> Got it. Uh, apparently, it has a pretty historical element, which isn't surprising, really. But, I mean, we got to look into things uh, when they started, namely in the Talmudic and Geonic eras. The term "mativta" first appears in the Talmud, where it refers to a yeshiva of Talmudic sages. Wow. I know 50% of the words I just said. <laughs> Abba Arika learned in the Metavita in Sepphoris under Judah the Prince, his son, and grandson. Wait. No, no, not his son and grandson. Judah the Prince, comma, his son, comma, and also, also his grandson. grandson. Okay. So they are all son one, and dude. grandson. He's also Judah the Prince. <laughs> uh, under the leadership of Rav and Shmuel... The Talmudic Academy of Sura during the Babylonian exile was called Sidra. But under Rav Huna, the second dean of the Academy of Sura, the yeshiva began to be called a metiv- metivta, and Huna was the first to hold the title of Resh-Metivta corresponding to Rosh-Yeshiva. According to greats, the Mativta Met- convened in certain months of the year, Mativta frameworks continue to operate throughout the era of general a period of approximately 1,000 years. So they've been around a while. Hmm. Secondary education has been a tenant in, <laughs> in uh, Jewish culture since forever.
0: Yeah, so it would seem... So the modern-day concept, uh, Rabbi Shraga Mendelo Mendlowitz. Man, it's hard with that L right after the D. Ugh.
1: Yeah, D-L-O. That's not a normal uh, thing you have to say. Uh, but oh, this, D-L-O there.
0: <laughs> this guy introduced the concept of a Mesivta as a Talmudic studies... Program for boys aged 14 and under in New York in 1926. Okay, so this guy got the ball rolling in the United States with the modern take on this kind right. of school. Until that time, religious boys attended Talmud Torah or elementary school until their bar mitzvah and then went on to public high school and college where their level of Torah observance and commitment were sorely tested. The only post-bar met- mitzvah religious education available at the time was at Yeshivat Rabbeinu Yitzchak Elkanon, <laughs> which prepared <laughs> students for a career in the rabbinate. When Mendelowitz who had begun teaching at the Yeshiva Torah Vodas Elementary School in 1923, suggested the innovation. He was met with widespread resistance. And the Yiddish Morgan Journal put it, Just as the Reform have a rabbinical seminary in Cincinnati and the Conservative have the Solomon Schechter Seminary in New York, so should Yeshiva's Rabenu Yitzhak Elkanon suffice to produce Orthodox rabbis. But then, with the support of three Torah Vodas board members, Binyomin Wilhelm, That's a name. Ben Zion Weberman, eh. and Abraham Lewin, Boring. Mendelitz successfully opened Mesivta Torah Vodas in its own building in Williamsburg, Brooklyn in September 1926. And the Masivta opened with four classes of post-bar mitzvah students with and 11 students in the advanced bay Medrash program. The Masivta went on to graduate generations of students who became Torah scholars and leaders in the American Jewish world. Huh. And then Mendelovitz also influenced the administration uh, at Yeshiva's Chaim Berlin to expand beyond 8th grade and open a Massivta as well. Massivta Rabbi Chaim Berlin opened in the 1930s. And then other Massivtas founded in the 30s and 40s were Massivta Tifereth Jerusalem, Kamenetzer Massivta of Borough Park, and Rabbi Jacob Joseph School. <laughs> uh, in the 1950s, the latter four Masivtas had their own basketball league. So, yeah. Um, so they started rapidly expanding here. Well, huh. I guess kind of. I mean, there's. I a, mean, they're not as prevalent schools, as you but... would
1: think they would be, honestly. But uh, so today. Masivtas are located in cities throughout the United States that have a sizable Orthodox Jewish population. Since the 1980s, the number of Masivtas in the New York and New Jersey area has mushroomed. Whereas before, they were at most a handful of schools. Uh, Today, every city with a religious Jewish population and nearly every township has a Yeshiva high school. Because of the proliferation, Masivtus have developed reputations that reflect the academic level of their students. There are schools for Metzuyanim, or top learners, schools for average students, and of course, schools for students with serious scholastic and or Yeratshamayam religious belief so if you are stupid or don't believe in god you go to a school for the dumb (laughs) that is what happens
0: religious belief challenges
1: yep yep if they're scholastic or religious belief challenges you go there um which is kind of an interesting approach i think that's kind of neat in that um we oftentimes separate those things but the, the the people in the jewish religion are smart enough to lump both of those <laughs> it's an and or like, you could have yeah. religious challenges, but if you're also, like, severely scholastically stupid, yeah. you go here. So, like, yeah. either mm-hmm. you're lacking in your logic department or you're lacking in your empathy department. And <laughs> both of those things need to be rounded off and worked on before we let you go forward. That's kind of what they're saying, I think, by yeah. having that standard set up. And I think that's a really smart idea. Mm-hmm. That's actually kind of that's actually kind neat. Anyway, uh, some masivtas operate different tracks to satisfy a diverse student body. masivtas like yeshivas do not follow the public education schedule of terms and vacations, but organize the school year according to the Hebrew calendar. School is in recess during Jewish holidays, and the term ends in the month of Av, the traditional break for yeshivas since the days of the Talmud. There is also a dress code. Whereas in elementary school, boys wear casual clothes to school. Upon entering Mesovta, they are expected to dress in dark suits and white shirts.
0: Hmm. I, I wonder, kind of I wonder <laughs> if this uh, is what is depicted in um, A Serious Man.
1: It seems actually, now that you mention it, that sounds like exactly what it is. Like He's probably in the one at um, in Los Angeles.
0: Actually, uh, in that, or, uh, that movie, I think, is set in Minnesota.
1: There was one in Wisconsin. I don't know if or, there was one in Minnesota. There's one in Missouri. Hmm. We can go to the list of Mesivtas from here. Wait, can we go back to an article that we've already been to from the <laughs> article we're on? Is that, is that allowed? Do we have a rule against that?
0: Is there a list of Mesivtas link? Yeah.
2: Hmm.
1: See also.
0: I don't see why not. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> So now we can go back. We're going <laughs> we backwards go- so we can go forward. Right.
1: Oh, well, look at all these massivtas. Here we got Wisconsin, Massachusetts, Illinois. Was
0: it Illinois? There is one in Chicago. I feel like it was, I don't know, maybe maybe they just like made it up that there was a school of it there. Or maybe they just don't have it listed. Maybe it's not counted as a mess
1: like maybe it's like a uh, maybe it's a Yeshiva level school, but it's not a me, it's not an outright because <laughs> it's not like a one that's in the Rabbi tract.
0: Yeah, let's see if um, what, what did we say, Minnesota? Let's go to Google and see if they have. Okay, looks like there is. Oh wait, no, this one says Brooklyn, New York. Why did it take me here and lie to me? Minnesota's private colleges. Massifta High School, Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> okay.
1: There we go. Um, Wait, Massifta High School? That's not even listed. Um, do you mean Massifta Mi'or Hatora? Or Massifta, Massifta <laughs> Naklas Yaakov? <laughs> what about Massifta <laughs> Rabbi Chamberlain? Chamberlain? <laughs> Somebody had to do that, though, really. Like, his name is, I think it's probably more like Keim Berlin, but uh, yeah. it looks like Chaim and then Berlin, <laughs> and then Chamberlain is a pretty common English, like, somebody did that on purpose, you know that. <laughs> like, somebody was like, heh, somebody's going to hey, mispronounce
0: this kid's name his a, entire uh, life. We could do a pun here, why not?
1: Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Chamberlain, Chamberlain, Heim Berlin, Heim. Wait, is Berlin so, like a standard like Yiddish last name? Because.
0: Maybe it is. Cause,
1: that's it? kind of ironic. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a lot of irony to that. Yeah. I hate to say it, but I mean, like, damn. Man. You know, I want to go to. I want to go to the one I said before. I want to go to Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch. All right. I want to go to that one. That one's not even in, like, Brooklyn or Manhattan, it's in New York. <laughs> It's not even in a borough, it's in New York. (laughs) This is Sandsboro. Yeshiva Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, also known as Brewers, (laughs) was founded in New York City in 1944 as a means of reestablishing the Orthodox Jewish community of Frankfurt, Germany in the United States. The school, founded by Rabbi Joseph Brewer, is run according to the philosophy of Rabbi Brewer's grandfather, Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch. It is located in the Upper Manhattan neighborhood of Washington Heights. The institution has several divisions, including separate elementary, middle, and high schools for boys and girls and post-high school Talmudic academy. It is also lo- uh, it has also maintained a teacher's seminary for many years, which was discontinued in two thousand and four. It is under the general auspices of Kal Adath Jeshurun, which is an Orthodox killer that serves the mostly German Jewish community of Washington Heights and Fort Ty- Tryon in Upper Manhattan. Hmm. Okay, well, that's an article. <laughs> So, there's a couple of links down here. Shimon Schwab. Why is that name sound familiar? Shimon
0: Schwab. Shimon yes. Schwab. It's it like a like, Sean Connery. Yeah, name. it's like Sean Connery trying to play like a Jewish guy. Shyman My Schwab. name is Shimon Schwab.
1: <laughs> like <it's, laughs> yeah, like I, I don't quite know. What to make of that one Well I
0: think we have to go With Shaman Schwab
1: right? Simon Schwab
3: <laughs> It looks like it up. could
1: be Played by Sean Sean Connery This guy <laughs> Yeah absolutely At this point I mean he's still alive He might as well Go for it Simon <laughs> Schwab Also known as Simon Who knew <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hmm I could not have guessed that one He was born in 1908 And died in 1995 he was an Orthodox rabbi and communal leader in Germany and the United States. Uh, he was educated in Frankfurt am Main and in the yeshivat of Lithuania. He was a rabbi in Ikenhausen, Bavaria. After immigration to the United States in Baltimore, wait. Yep. So where's Bavaria? Bavaria is Germany. Okay. So he became a rabbi in Bavaria after moving to the United States. (laughs) Right. He's old
1: enough that he would have been in Germany before Germany was Germany. Hmm. He would have been in Germany when it was Bavaria and a couple of other city
0: states. Gotcha. And from 1958 until his death, uh, he served at uh, Kau Adath Jeshurun in Washington Heights, Manhattan. He was an ideologue of... Agudath Israel of America, specifically defending the Torah im Derech Eretz approach to Jewish life, he wrote several popular works of Jewish thought.
2: Hmm.
1: So, of course, he started out in Frankfurt, born and raised. His family had been long-standing members of Israeliite uh, religion religion. Sk- Cell shaft, or the IRG, the Orthodox Jewish community that had established its own independence from the Reformed Judaism dominating the general community. The IRG had been led until 1888 by Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, and was then under the leadership of, Sam- of Rabbi Solomon Brewer, Hirsch's son-in-law. Simon completed the real school. <laughs> The local school that combined religious studies and general subjects in confirmation with the Torah M. Derek Eretz, ideology propagated by Rabbi Hirsch. After the real school, he was a full-time student for a number of years in the Torah Lerenstalt, the local yeshiva founded by Rabbi Brewer. Hmm.
0: So, at 17... Which he It was in 1926 He enrolled in the yeshiva At Telsh yeshiva In Telsh yeshiva Okay
1: The yeshiva in Telsh yeshiva In (laughs) Tel-Sai
0: Lithuania Yeshiva (laughs) Where he studied Talmud Intensively for three years And afterwards spent One year and a half in the Mir Yeshiva. uh, The Mir Yeshiva. It (laughs) It was not very common for German Jewish students to study an Eastern European Yeshivat, but two of Shimon's brothers, Mashi and Mordecai, (laughs) would later follow the same path. And then in spring of 1930, he spent a weekend with Rabbi Yisrael Mer Kagan, the Shafetz then and the leader of non-Hasidic Eastern European Ashkenazi Jewry. Jewry. jewelry, <laughs> Jewry, which has a link.
1: Just of itself. <laughs> Jewry. Jewry. Every word in that <laughs> sentence has its own. Hasidic Let's... Eastern European Ashkenazi Jewry. They all are separate links. There's not, <laughs> it's just a whole bunch of links <laughs> all at once. That's great.
0: But the visit made his, made a strong impression on him and he would later often refer to the counter encounter in public speeches throughout his life and after receiving semicha rabbinic ordination rabbi schwab relocated to germany and in february 1931 while still unmarried he accepted the position of <laughs> Rabbinet Sassiser. Rabbi ra- <laughs> <Rabid> Assassin? <laughs> <laughs> Assistant Rabbi oh. in Darmstadt. In October 1931, he married Recca Froelich of Gelsenkirchen and co- continued his post there until September 1933, at which time he accepted the post of Community Rabbi in Ickenhausen, Bavaria. Man, sometimes after reading a bunch of foreign words, Mm -hmm. it starts to make normal words look foreign. Yep. And you're like, wait a minute, that word that I've read a million times before suddenly sounds like I should be saying it completely different.
1: It's really weird because it is exactly like climbing a rock face. (laughs) As soon as you lose your footing, everything that you thought was familiar is just, (laughs) no. Uh, So his work in Ickenhausen involved general rabbinic duties, but he also worked hard to establish a traditional yeshiva that would teach Mishnah and Talmud. He also published a booklet titled "Heimkehr ins Judentum, which means coming home to Judaism, which was published in 1934 exhorting his Jewish contemporaries to devote more time to in-depth Torah study and abandon their fascination with modern culture and social progress (laughs) the yeshiva started off but immediately ran into trouble as threats were made by local Nazi activists because it was about that time. Mm -hmm. In the end, the students were sent home after one day, and this incident probably inspired Rabbi Schwab to apply for a position overseas.
2: Mm.
1: Probably. Yeah. Probably.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, does it say... Oh, okay, so this was Okay, while he was in Germany
1: Right, Okay, yeah, which makes sense Because, you know, it was about that time Yeah
0: (laughs) Yep, it's like, well About time to go back to America But uh, In Baltimore then uh, Through the American Orthodox leader Rabbi Dr. Leo Hung He got in touch with a community Called Shirith israel in baltimore he traveled to the united states and after a trial period the community elected him as a rabbi and the family was therefore able to apply for visas and escape the holocaust wow so was a close call that's pretty good (laughs) yeah uh in baltimore schwab as the rabbi of the community sheriff israel became a local leader of orthodoxy hosting the annual conference of Agudath Israel several years after his arrival, and he was involved in the first Jewish day school for girls, Base Yaakov, and traveled to San Francisco in the late 1940s to act as a lobbyist during the early activities of the United Nations. Hmm. Huh. That's pretty cool.
1: In 1958, Schwab was invited to join our old friend (laughs) Razif, Rabbi Joseph, or Razif, as the locals (laughs) call him, Brewer, in the leadership of the Jewish-German community in Washington Heights, located in upper Manhattan, New York City. Remember that? Remember what we just talked about? That whole thing? That. That's what this is. See, call Adath Jeshrun. Uh, is what the article tells us to do, but we don't need to because we know about <laughs> the school that they ultimately all end up at. There's a picture of it right there. It's right there. It's right there. Mm-hmm. If you're following us, it's it's right there. Um, this community, widely regarded as the uh, spiritual continuation of the pre-war Frankfurt community, had been close to Rabbi Schwab's heart, and with Rabbi Brewer's increasing age and infirmity, he took on many leadership roles until the latter's passing in 1980.
0: Wow. Wait a minute. Who? Okay, uh, is that Brewer?
1: Brewer. 19? Brewer was still going strong until 1980, man. But then he Ra- was old. Whenever he bought <laughs> his community over from Germany.
0: So how lo- how old is Rabbi is Brewer then?
1: Well, I mean they're both dead, but he was also very old. Once he went.
0: Well, yeah, because it sounded like Rabbi Brewer was um, not. Not young. He's old. I, I see I I thought what happened was Brewer was a younger guy and he employed the older Jewish rabbi guy to come in and
1: I think your confusion stems from when he was they kept mentioning Brewer as like the grandson of some
0: dude uh, and they kept okay. mentioning that these Maybe two guys I, at
1: the same time so it's like it gave stuck you the in impression my head of yeah. And it kind of gave me the impression that they' were like peers not like one after the other like by mm. twenty years but apparently <laughs> they are like generations apart ah uh, okay that's hmm but it is deceptive just because it's like here are these two people who work together and this guy's grandfather so like it doesn't really <laughs> it doesn't really tell you very well uh, so from 1980 until 1993, our friend Simon Schwab led the community alone. He was succeeded after his death by Rabbi Zechariah Gelli, the Sunderland or England uh, Rash Yeshiva who had already joined the Kahila several years earlier as second Rav. He continued to lecture and teach, but his health deteriorated and he died at the age of 86, on Purim, Catan, where he settled. <laughs> he was a settler of Purim, Catan.
0: <laughs> so, okay, his philosophy was um, being a product of both the German Torah im Derek Eretz movement and the Eastern European yeshiva world, initially identified strongly with the latter. Um, During the 1960s, however, it became apparent to him that the continued emphasis on religious studies and downplay of secular education would be harmful to the community as a whole. He thus wrote his pamphlet, These and Those, in which he champions the Torah im Derek Eretz approach as being equally valid. The title of the pamphlet is a quote from the Talmud, These and Those... Uh va elu okay, are the words of a living God, emphasizing that both approaches are divinely sanctioned. Other points often discussed in his work, the independence of orthodoxy and the perceived materialistic excesses and expenses of the modern world, especially at weddings. He did not shirk from difficult and potential controversial questions, such as those concerning the Jewish view on the age of the universe and problems in harmonizing a 165-year gap in traditional Jewish history with scientifically accepted calculations. So that's interesting. Hmm.
1: I, like, I really like what the Jewish people have done with, like, integrating science into their hmm. religion. Like, uh, this, is a, this is a cool thing. Yeah. It seems much more successful than other... Mm-hmm.
0: Christians are starting to get there. At least some of them. But we now have a link to Age of the Universe, which uh, I think is a, a good place to go.
1: I agree. We will go there.
0: Okay, so... The Age of the Universe which is the time elapsed since the Big Bang. So, the current measurement of the age of the universe, oh boy, um, 13.799 plus or minus 0.021 billion years. But yeah, that is with, within the Lambda-CDM concordance model. Um, The uncertainty of 21 million years has been obtained by the agreement of a number of scientific research projects, such as microwave background radiation measurements by the Planck satellite, the Wilkinson Microwave Anisotropy Probe, and other probes.
1: Why does that sound familiar? (laughs)
0: Measurements of the cosmic background radiation give the cooling time of the universe since the Big Bang. Hmm. And measurements of the expansion rate of the universe can be used to calculate its approximate age by extrapolating backwards in time.
1: The uh, explanation for this is actually much briefer than you would think. (laughs) Um, But that doesn't mean it'll be intelligible all the same. But we will try because that's what we're here to do. So, the Lambda CDM concordance model describes the evolution of the universe from a very uniform, hot, and dense primordial state to its present state over a span of about 13.8 billion years of cosmological time. This model is well understood theoretically and strongly supported by high-precision astronomical observations such as WMAP or WMAP. (laughs) In contrast, theories of the origin of the primordial state remain very speculative. If one extrapolates the Lambda CDM model backward from the earliest well-understood state, it quickly, within a small fraction of a second, reaches a singularity called the Big Bang Singularity. This singularity is not understood as having a physical significance in the usual sense, but it is convenient to quote times measured quote since the Big Bang end quote even though they do not correspond to a physically measurable time. For example, 10 to the negative sixth seconds after the Big Bang is a well defined era in the universe's evolution. If one referred to the same era as 13.8 billion years minus 10 to the negative sixth seconds ago, the precision of the meaning would be lost because the minuscule latter time interval is swamped by uncertainty in the former. Though the universe might in theory have a longer history, the International Astronomical Union presently used Age of the Universe to mean the duration of the Lambda CDM expansion or, equivalently, the last time since the Big Bang in the current observable universe.
0: So, speaking of the observable universe, we have the observable limits. So, since the universe must be at least as old as the oldest living thing, or oldest thing in it, there are a number of observations which put a lower limit on the age of the universe. These include the temperature of the coolest white dwarfs, which gradually cool as they age, and the dimmest turn-off point of main-sequence stars in clusters, Lower mass stars spend a greater amount of time on the main sequence, so the lowest mass stars that have evolved off of the main sequence set a minimum age. One thing that I actually heard recently that kind of... I don't know if it made things clearer or not, but... Um, the singularity spoken of in the Big Bang... Um... It is the size of, like, a sugar cube. But still all of the matter that is currently in the universe. So it's incredibly dense. But... uh, Within that, it's still, like, infinite space. Or, like, infinite edges. Matter. You know? Energy. Or, like... (laughs) <laughs> like, like, it's not like... It's all space. It's not like, space. oh, the universe is now the size of a sugar cube, time to... It's all of the atoms. Move.
1: It's all of the atoms and space between electrons and protons
0: and neutrons yeah. that there ever
1: was. Just...
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like Ant-Man. Yes. Everything... Exactly. <laughs> ...is pulled together. It's just... It's just... Yeah. <laughs> I can't make, but, like, small... Small noises. Like, That's You it would... If, if you could exist in that space... You would be incredibly small and it would still look the same size. But
2: you would just be tinier.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So theoretically, we could be gigantic right now. Or are we? (laughs) We might be giants. (laughs) We could be. We could. What if that sugar cube sitting on your table right now is a universe and it is slowly expanding in your stomach? I don't know.
1: What if my Fingertips Were the universe Fingertips
2: Fingertips I
1: don't know yeah. I saw They Might Be giant show one time uh. I feel like I should know more than I do about them as a band But I don't I know that's a reference to them but I don't know why um, But anyway But in any case
0: it looks like we're about to get into more mathy stuff that we can really
1: <laughs> say. I mean, we could try to say it, but I mean, it would be really handy for us to have like a chalkboard in front of your face while we talked about it, if anything. <laughs> Ooh,
0: we could go down to the history section. That sounds a little more
1: approachable for a <laughs> podcast that is based on words and not math. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we won't be hearing math equations and
1: but you will be hearing the history of the problem. So, in the 18th century, the concept that the age of the Earth was millions, if not billions, of years old began to appear. However, most scientists throughout the 19th century and even into the first decades of the 20th century (laughs) presumed that the universe itself was steady state and eternal, with maybe stars coming and going, but no changes occurring at the largest scale known at the time. The first scientific theories indicating that the age of the universe might be finite were the studies of thermodynamics formalized in the mid-19th century. The concept of entropy dictates that if the universe or any other closed system were infinitely old, then everything inside would be at the same temperature. And thus, there would be no stars and no life. No scientific explanation for this contradiction was put forth at the time. In 1915, though, Albert Einstein published the theory of general relativity, and in 1917 constructed the first cosmological model based on his theory. In order to remain consistent with a steady-state universe, Einstein added what was later called a cosmological constant to his equations. However... Already in 1922, also using Einstein's theory, Alexander Friedman and independently five years later Georges Lemaitre showed that the universe cannot be static and must be either expanding or contracting. Einstein's model of a static universe was in addition proved unstable by Arthur Eddington. Hmm. The first direct observational hint that the universe has a finite age came from the observations of recession velocities, mostly by Vesto Sulfner combined with distances To the Nebulae Galaxies by Edwin Hubble in a work published in 1929. Earlier in the 20th century, Hubble and others resolved individual stars within certain nebulae, thus determining that they were galaxies, similar to, but external to, our own Milky Way galaxy. In addition, These galaxies were very large and very far away. Spectra, taken of these galaxies, showed a redshift in their spectral lines, presumably caused by the Doppler effect, thus indicating that these galaxies were moving away from the Earth. In addition, the farther away these galaxies seemed to be, or the dimmer they appeared to be to us, the greater was their redshift, and thus the faster they seemed to be moving away. This was the first direct evidence that the universe is not static, but instead is expanding. The first estimate of the age of the universe came from the calculation of when all the objects must have started speeding out from the same point. Hubble's initial value for the universe's age was very low, as the galaxies were assumed to be much closer than later observations actually (laughs) found them out to be. The first reasonably accurate measurement of the rate of the expansion of the universe was a numerical value now known as the Hubble constant, and that was made in 1958 by somebody who was not Hubble. (laughs) It was, in fact, an astronomer named Alan Sandage. His measured value for the Hubble constant came very close to the value range generally accepted today. However... Sandage, like Einstein, did not believe his own results at the time of the discovery. His value for the age of the universe was too short to reconcile with the 25 billion year estimated age at that time for the oldest known stars. Sandage and other astronomers repeated these measurements numerous times, attempting to reduce the Hubble constant and thus increase the resulting age of the universe. Sandage even proposed new theories of cosmog... (laughs) of cosmogony to explain this to Discrepancy. This issue was finally resolved by improvements in the theoretical models used for estimating the ages of stars. As of 2013, using the latest models for stellar evolution, the estimated age of the oldest known star is 14.46, give or take 0.8 billion years. <laughs> The discovery of microwave cosmic background radiation announced in 1965 finally bought an effective end to the remaining scientific uncertainty over the expanding universe. They recently launched space probes, WMAP, which were launched in 2001, and Planck, launched in 2009, produced data that determines the Hubble constant and the age of the universe in, interde, uh, independent of the galaxy's distances, removing the largest source of error
0: so cosmogony um for anybody who doesn't know which most people probably don't know
1: is that where we're going now because I think we probably do because of all the things uh, in that article that was is, like the thing that was like
0: huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I bounced over just to get an understanding of what it was okay it is a any model of the the origins of the universe Oh, okay.
1: Well, that's less exciting, yeah. but that's fine. That's good. That, like Ooh, now we know what that meant.
0: There's a link to Hubble Deep Field. Gonna <laughs> be some cool pictures in that one. You
1: Know what? You can go there. Like we've done, we've done good work here, Eric. We can, we can yeah. do that now, and we can just kind of put pretty pictures all over the website, the web page for mm. this one.
0: Yep. Yeah. Tell you if there aren't any pictures on there. <laughs> You're going to be severely disappointed.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was that was going to be the biggest letdown of the night, for sure.
0: Hmm. I love that picture. Mm-hmm. Thousands upon thousands of galaxies, all in one image.
1: Give or take an entire quadrant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to guess the border up there. That's where the Borg come from, that big the big area that's just kind of, like, redacted. Don't look at this one. Nothing's going on over here. Well, in case anybody doesn't know, the Hubble Deep Field is an image of a small region in the constellation Ursa Major. Small region. Just a little tiny sliver, really. Uh, constructed from a series of observations by the Hubble Space Telescope, it covers about 2.6 arc minutes on a side. And about one twenty-four millionth of the whole sky. <laughs> so, that's equivalent oh, to an angular size that's equivalent to a uh, tennis ball at the distance of a hundred meters away from your face. Hmm. That's how much of the galaxy this this, this is. I mean, yeah. of the universe. Sorry, not the galaxy, because that would, yeah. These are all galaxies. Look at all these little galaxies out there.
0: Yep. Yeah, it says uh, almost all of the 3,000 objects in the image are galaxies. So, if you just do some quick math, this is 124 millionth of the whole sky. In it, there are 3,000 galaxies, which means There are at least 72 billion galaxies in the whole sky.
1: And if there are 72 billion galaxies and our solar system is centered around one sun, where we know there to be at least eight or nine, give or take a planet, uh, planets, then so we need to do some light Googling (laughs) on the side here. How many stars in galaxy? got to be billions. Trillions? There are about 100,000 million stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone. <laughs> so, so we would have to take... 100 trillion. 100. <laughs> so we would have to take 9 times 100,000 million. 100 million thousands times 72 billion <laughs> to get the total number of so, planets there may be out there. Yeah, it's. it's uh, There's enough. Yeah. There's enough. It's there might lot. be life in the universe somewhere. Yeah. There's enough. At the
0: very least, there is another habitable planet out somewhere. there. Somewhere. We might be. not ever be able to reach it, but it's out there. But it's
1: around. <laughs> just let them have their lives. Like, we, we're doing okay here. Like,
0: we just need to say hello. Just, yep. You know, hey. Yep. I see you over there. Keep doing your thing.
1: a proof Go about your way, go about your merry business. Yep, we'll never see you again, but you know, <laughs> universe is that way. So, uh, have a good one. Have a good, have a good existence, you guys. Bye, bye, yeah. man. What a crazy thought, though.
0: Yeah. So, three years after the HDF observations were taken. A region in the South Celestial Hemisphere was imaged in a similar way and named the Hubble Deep Field South, the Deep Sea. Hmm. The similarities between the two regions strengthened the belief that the universe is uniform over large scales and that the Earth occupies a typical region in the universe, the Cosmological Principle. A wider but shallower survey was also made as part of the Great... Observatory's Origins Deep Survey. In 2004, a deeper image known as the Hubble Ultra Deep Field was constructed from a few months of light exposure. A few months? Wow. The HUDF image was at the time the most sensitive astronomical image ever made at visible wavelengths and it remained so until The Hubble Extreme Deep Field was released in 2012.
1: Extreme Deep Field.
0: I feel like we have to go to Extreme Deep Field.
1: That's... Okay.
0: (laughs) We got time for Extreme Deep Field. We got time. We got time. We got to... Oh. This just is further down. Oh, well, well, oh no, wait, no. No, This is the this... Hubble Ultra okay, so Deep Field. We're inside the Hubble Ultra Deep Field article now, and we can go extreme. And now there's a subheading: Extreme
1: Deep Field. spelled with a very stylistic extreme. Yep, E I... capital
0: X extreme. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the most ridiculous. Yep. The Hubble Extreme Deep Field, or XDF. <laughs> Released on September 25th, 2012, is an image of a portion of space in the center of the Hubble Ultra Deep Yoda badge. And yes, I am going to read the rest of this in this voice. Representing a total of 2 million seconds, approximately 23 days of exposure time collected over 10 years. (laughs) The image covers an area of 2.3 arc minutes. By two arc minutes, (laughs) or approximately 80% of the area of the HUDF. That's really hard Hmm. on your larynx. I need. Ugh. That was bad. Wow. (laughs) How do the guys do like metal music? Actually, the XDF contains approximately 5,500 galaxies, the oldest of which are seen as they were
0: 13.2
1: billion years ago.
0: Now, the interesting thing about that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the origin of or the age of the universe did it not say hmm. that it was 13 some billion years or well it said that the
1: oldest star that we know of is 14.46 give or take 0.8 billion years based on the established Hubble constant which again isn't far off from reality based on the deep space probes we have sent out. So I'm not sure why what it's what it may be trying to drive at here is that 13.2 billion years ago was the last time these things were close enough to us that we could age, see a change.
0: Age of the universe 13.799 billion years.
1: So these things haven't
0: changed in appearance as far as our perspective
1: in the last, like, they were moving so fast that they got to, like, their max distance (laughs) and then stopped, like, 13.2 billion years ago. So they did all the traveling they were going to in maybe that, like, a little bit of time. Or they're the galaxies (laughs) that are moving at the same distance, the same velocity, away Mm. from the Big Bang area as we are.
0: What if... Hmm. They are closer to the center of the Big Bang, and we are the further out one, looking at them closer to the beginning. Well, I don't,
1: I don't like that one as much. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to tell you no, and but
0: that <laughs> either way, it sounds like these the things. I mean,
2: Wish I was hmm. there. yeah.
0: Like, yeah, they're they're pretty close to the beginning of the universe.
2: Yep,
1: they 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 have been pretty standard since a certain time, which I think kind of is indicative of exactly what you mean. Like it's somebody's here. Somebody here is really close to where everything was going on.
0: Yeah. Ooh man, the faintest galaxies are one ten billionth the brightness of what the human eye can see. The red galaxies in the image are the remnants of galaxies after major collisions during their elderly years. Many of the smaller galaxies in the image are very young galaxies that eventually developed into major galaxies, similar to the Milky Way and other galaxies in our galactic neighborhood. Man. It's just insane to think about... The time travel that happens when you look into the night sky. Like you're seeing things billions that, of years old. Yeah, like like you are seeing something that happened billions of years ago. Or yeah. Really like, puts it in
1: perspective, you know? Like if you could make a star. You could do something that people would be able to observe billions of years after you were gone. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool.
0: Mm-hmm. But, like, they would see it 13 billion years from now, right, right. after you made it. Right. Immediately after you make it. They yes. can see it yes. in the future. Yep. <laughs> For the first time. Oh, man. That's I it's know. Just... It's that... <laughs> That's just... <laughs> the more you think about space, it's like... Wow. just. Haziness. expect
1: to be able to get out there and explore that thing? Are you kidding? <laughs> Have you seen it?
0: We've barely made it to Mars. <laughs>
1: we've barely seen Mars. Like, there's so much out there just to look at.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: where do you begin? I guess close to you. But really, it's going to take you 13 point some billion years to get to some of these things anyway. You might as well just go right for those.
2: Because yeah. that's going to be a bit. <laughs> We've
0: We've barely reached the edge of our own solar system. Not we even can't close even to our own galaxy. <laughs>
1: we can't even establish what planets are beyond Pluto, necessarily. Yeah. Like, there are some. And they rotate in a way that we would actually consider them a planet. We still can't... We're still like, mm
0: <laughs> And... I uh, don't know. This maybe doesn't have anything to do with anything. But I found it interesting, so I thought I would uh, point it out. Um, I learned recently that... Uh, Like, things don't actually just orbit around the sun. The sun and other planets and things orbit a combined center of gravity. Hmm. But that center is so close to the sun that it looks like the things are just orbiting around it. So, like, if you look at the sun, it's actually making a small circle... Okay. Because yeah, it's right. Because or- it's actually orbiting. Because two things are like orbiting around together. Right. Well. But like, uh, <laughs> it's not no. just one thing static and then the other things moving around it. It's two things. It's like they you take two things, find the average in like the the middle quote unquote, right. but that middle tends to be very close to the big oh. object, which they're. There was is, something interesting about like Jupiter and the Sun because Jupiter is so huge that it affects
1: the it, Sun. It,
0: yeah, <laughs> like
1: that's crazy. Yeah, it's a very delicate balance. Yeah, maybe that's the only thing that helps keep the Sun in check. Like maybe it mm-hmm. would be like one of those shoots. Uh, for coins That you used to see For like the United Way And yeah. things Where you put the sh- coin Down the chute And if the sum Was unchecked by Jupiter Maybe it would have Enough gravity To suck all of Everything uh, Into it
2: huh? Could be It's
1: not how gravity works But I that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: To be fair People don't really know How gravity works anyway You
1: know what That's that's very true <laughs> And we keep, we keep Backpedaling on Certain facets of it So who knows Maybe Maybe
0: I mean Yeah It's uh pretty interesting to think like how many things we are we know about but we realize that like
3: oh wait no we don't know anything
0: about that actually no we know that it exists we just don't know why it exists
1: or how (laughs) or what it's doing so the next time you (laughs) lack direction in your life just be like "Eh,
0: what's the point of anything (laughs) we don't know anything about it come
1: right down to it like
0: "Eh." um Yeah, I I always find it fascinating whenever I remember that, like, normal physics works when you ignore quantum mechanics, and then quantum mechanics only works if you ignore gravity. So it's like, these two things (laughs) are really great in their respective, you know, what they are trying to explain yeah. <laughs> except they that they don't explain together. each
1: other. Yeah. <laughs> they're water and you oil. Ha- they
0: have to ignore each other to work. And they're and both
1: definitely around, so Yeah.
0: It's uh eh. <laughs> What are you going to do? <laughs> Maybe someday they'll figure it out. But uh until then, um, we have gone from oh, list oh. of Messivtas to oh, Hubba- ult- Hubble Hubble ultra deep field. Look, uh, and subsequently Extreme Deep Field Extreme
1: Oh wow, that was full on That was was not (laughs) Just bottomed out my gruff voice
0: So yeah, hopefully you have uh, enjoyed this episode of um, steeped in Judaism And space and, uh, <laughs> Just as
1: the does would want it <laughs> We're not going to that lower yeah. <laughs> school Eric We're above it
0: We're going to combine all the things We're going to do right. Torah studies And we're going to do secular studies Yeah mm-hmm. But um, Go ahead and visit facebook.com Slash TWC podcast Give us a like and follow Go to iTunes and rate and review us. And also, you can check out our website, twc.erictoribio.com. And I would like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song, and Blind Lemon Jefferson for our outro
1: song.
0: So, thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. And we really don't go to space too often.
1: We don't I think we should I think it's because Like we're afraid of it That (laughs) it's going to become Too much math Too quick Yeah that's true It does kind
0: of A lot of articles Kind of devolve into math Over time
1: If you are very careful You can actually go to space Without going to math (laughs) Yeah (laughs) And that takes more calculating Than you would think (laughs) In a twist of irony
3: (laughs) Mama my me down on this Christmas Eve My mother turned me down on this Christmas Eve I cried about you so hard that wet up my whole cold sea And day before Christmas, let me bring you a present tonight. And there's a day before Christmas, let me bring me a present
2: tonight. I'm going
3: to be your Santa Claus even if my whiskers ain't wild. mm mm-hmm.